everybody and get everybody's attention. Hi, um, my name's Amanda, and I run uh, Cinetopia, which um, right now we run a series of events from film screenings, but mostly um, we are trying to start these uh, first master classes, but we run networking events. I don't know if any of you have been to them, but a monthly sort of networking where we can all sort of filmmakers get together and talk and meet and op do opportunities. Well, this is our first masterclass plus networking night. And um, when we first started talking about these, uh, Ali and Lily and I talked about what we think people might could use in an informal environment. So I hope you will come and ask questions. I'll do very little talking, and I'll let the experts talk. Today we have Ali Murray, who's a sound designer, Naomi Sparrow, who's an editor and producer, and Stephen Seahorn, who's a colorist. So I'm going to first start by asking them how they got into their uh, prospective fields, and then we'll go into, they'll just give a lot more tips about um, post-production. So, Ali? Uh, I came here via a long, weird way. Um, started off as a cellist, became a rock drummer professionally while studying engineering and robotics. Did IT, fell out with IT, went back to being a musician, went back to uni to do a master's, ended up doing film. Got in a 16 bus, got here. <laughs> That's probably more direct than my route. Um, I was in the, let's see, how did I start? I would say as a PA on a set, which was by happenstance, I didn't study film. I was driving across America and my cousin, who's a documentary filmmaker, was filming and she was in Los Alamos, New Mexico. She didn't have a ride back to Texas, so I picked her up and she said, could you hold the bounce card? And from there, she said, can you type? I said, yes. She said, can you tr transcribe the footage? I said, yes. She's like, great, well, you know the footage now. Can you assist edit? I'm like, yes. And, and that was the beginning. And she paid me my, probably like $3 an hour. And then I moved to LA and actually got paid and, and trained as an assistant editor, moved to editing, moved to New York, grew as a, into post-production supervising for film and television and then moved into producing. So now I do both editing and producing um, for documentaries, film, TV, commercials, really uh, corporates, whatever. So that's, that's my journey. And I'm here in Edinburgh as of three years ago and I haven't left, I'm staying so, at, until I get kicked out. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I started color grading Basically, when I started making films, uh, about 11 years ago, I was in Aberdeen at their college studying television production where you just learn everything at one go. You learn how to direct or operate a camera, edit. And when I got into the edit suite, I realized my stuff just didn't look the way I wanted it to. So it needed some kind of color management. And that's when I realized how important colors were. And ever since then, any time I worked on a film, edited it, Colors have been super important to me. I knew that I wanted to specialize in that by the time I got to Edinburgh and uh, studied at the uni here. And since then, I've just been editing, color grading. And not these days, color grading still isn't taught that much anymore in unis in Scotland anywhere. Um, so it's, it's kind of still a specialized field that I think is pretty important because colors, you know, they're everywhere. We're a visual species and they change emotions, moods, and uh, I think they're fascinating. So that's what I work in. Thank you. So one of the th reasons why we wanted to start with post-production, I think, is that 
a lot of times there's a lot of focus on the production process and the cinematography and we're spend less time sort of uh, focusing on the post-production and there are certain things that could be done that we don't want to fix in post um, before and so we thought post-production specialists could perhaps give us some advice on what to do before so we don't run into um, problems and later but I also would be curious to ask you both all to think about is how much time we should think about too in terms of like for sound design and and how much sort of should we think about you know in our post in our in our production planning and and color colorists and editing and whatnot so it's just something for us to think about but I'll let you start with um, your tips for what not to do okay cool um, and I'll, I'll get your um, your I'm only talking into this because it's recorded. Otherwise, I would just bellow as usual. Um, sound, sound is kind of witchcraft as far as a lot of directors and producers are concerned. Um, I kind of think sound's pretty important. Uh, you guys think it's pretty important. Otherwise, <laughs> so. You know, storytelling always started around a campfire. We're talking to each other. It's all about the sound. So I uh, I get the chills anytime I hear anyone say, oh, we'll fix it in post. And I always say, no, let's fix it in pre. It's always going to be faster, cheaper, higher quality. It's going to be better. So if we have a look at our um, second slide, give you an idea who I am. Uh, it's me. Uh, sounds like I'm a musician, educator, I do some lecturing a few places. Um, consumer of curries, oh yeah. Uh, I want every film to sound aw aw awesome. Not awful, awesome, different thing. Um, and I am constantly being thwarted about trying to make it sound awesome. I would like to help you, help me, to help us to make awesome sound in films. This, um, is me doing Foley uh, for Spider. Uh, I like Foley. It's fun. Okay. Thank you. Um, the major problems that I have with work that comes into me. Noisy recordings. Very often because they're in a noisy place or at a noisy time or the microphone is in the wrong place. When I rule the world, the little bits, see these little rings that fit onto cameras that hold microphones? I'm going to take them all, I'm going to destroy them. Cameras with microphones on, the microphones are never in the right place. Never. Ever. Ever. <laughs> never. Um, other problems. Communication, understanding, expectation. What do you want? What are you actually looking for? What do you think we can achieve? We're very used to seeing what we can do visually. We can take out King Kong. If, if, if King Kong's behind me, yeah, we get rid of him. Or we turn him into a pixie, or we, we put me in Belgium, or, you know, that's very easy. Can't do that with sound. Sound is a very different medium, and it is, that's all I like to see. Um, it's something where we need to consider what we can and can't do. And it is much, much easier to fix these things beforehand than afterwards. Um, problems in workflow, unlocking edits, wrong files, no records. 
when you hand over sound to somebody like me, it helps if you send me the video in the right codec so it plays smoothly. It helps if you send me the sound that you actually want to be there. It also helps if you send me the other sound with a way that I can find out what it is and where it is if I need it. Um, as far as badly organized sound, no handles, no room tone. When you edit a picture, I'm led to believe in general that you're taught to keep it a quite a flat structure, not too many video tracks that you move between. Sound doesn't do that. Moving things in to fill up gaps is generally a problem because I'm going to have to find out what it is and work out where I need to put it instead. What you start off with as an OMF or an AEF being exported from your video uh, edit, try and think about letting me know what those sounds are. That will make my life quicker and easier. That means the job gets done faster, better, and cheaper. Give me the information. Uh, make sure that it has handles. For those that don't know, that's like a hidden bit of sound at the end edges of every clip. And room tone. Always get room tone. If we're editing anything, you need to have a basis of what the sound is. So in this case, the room tone would be awful. Really, really noisy. If we were filming in here, the first thing I'd do is I'd get them to turn the pump off, I'd get them to turn whatever the humming thing is off, then I would get, check if there was a clock or fridges that needed to go off, check if there's any noisy lights. We would make a point of getting it as quiet as possible. Take control of sound where you can. Uh, time. The number of times that people will phone me up Actually, you know the classic one, the classic triumvirate. Ring, ring. Hello, Ali Murray here. Hello, I'm a producer. Uh, I, uh, I want you to work on some sound. Excellent, that's what I do. That's very useful. Um, I don't know much about sound. Uh, we've broken the budget, and I need it by 3 o'clock this afternoon. At this point, I would drop the mic, but I have too much respect for microphones. I don't know what I'm doing. Brilliant, awesome. I've spent all the money. This isn't sounding very good. And I need it by going backwards in time. Think about how much time it actually takes. Thank you. Um, so yeah, very quickly to wrap up, lots of words. Bring in your sound people early. Don't leave it to post-production. Getting me in before you pick up a camera can save you, me, and everyone involved a huge amount of time, money, expense, and stress, and swearing. We want to make the film as good as we can. Getting me in earlier is going to help that. We want to then sit and look at the script and story and work out exactly what the sound's doing for it, or can do for it, where the problems might be, where we can improve the workflow, where we can improve what we're recording, how we can shave time and effort off post-production. We want to think about what the emotional intent, the content style is going to be. We want to think about what do we need? What do we want to end up with? What kind of story are we telling? How do we want it to come across to the audience? Plan your workflow. Start at the end. Work out what you are going to need to hand over to somebody and work backwards from there. That's going to make your life easier. Um, 
consider your sound during location recce. If you're going to come into a space and think, ah, yeah, this looks great. Also do this. Have a listen. What do you hear? Are you there at the same time uh, of year, same time of day? Is there something, you know, are you next door to a football match or is there a fish gutting plant just off this, the end of the company, off the end of the shot that's going to make a lot of noise? Um, think about how much time this will actually take. How many pictures do you normally have going at one time on an edit? One, yeah? So you have to decide when it starts and when it ends. Sound, usually maybe two or three atmospheric tracks, maybe a few spot effects, maybe some music, maybe some ambiances. There might be 10, 15, 20, 30 sounds going at any one time, each of which you need to start, decide when it starts. Does it go with the picture edit? Does it go against it before or after? How long or slow the fades are? What EQ, what compression, what level? What effects you might want to use on it? There are lots and lots of decisions that are made. You've got to have time for it. Have plan B. When you're recording sound, think, okay, this bit looks great, but the sound is terrible. Maybe we go and maybe we take a couple of beauty shots in slow motion and we uh, interview them afterwards somewhere nice and quiet. Plan B, just in case. Last plot, last bit. Plan more, fix less. I'm on your side. I want your film to be much, much easier if you get rid of those problems before they happen. I will hand you over. Can I just have Ali's photo behind me? Just so, like, unfortunately, I was in Sheffield the past couple of days, so I haven't had time to prepare any slides. But um, thank you, Ali. I thought that was really great, and I agree with everything that you said. Because um, also, I think, it, you know, when you think about picture and sound, our eyes can adjust so much to picture. We can have an overexposed shot. We can have an underexposed shot. We just can adjust. But if it's a horrendous sound, you, you, you want to leave. You want to turn it off. If there's like, if there's a mic hissing, you can't fix it. You just you want to just chuck it, um, and it's really ruin your ruin your ruin your film or project. Um, don't just fix it in post. Yeah, um, I think the the thing about editing is, and what I love about especially the offline process is, it's really the hub of all of post. We're in touch with sound. We're in touch with color, visual effects. Sound effects, I mean, production, everything, you know, comes through us and then it goes out and then it comes back and forth. And, um, and so it's sort of, there's a lot of uh, control and knowledge that goes there. Um, I was trained in a lot of different ways, you know, the old school ways where there was a lot of money in commercials and in film and in TV and they could afford to do things right with assistant editors and uh, post producers and that's a luxury that doesn't exist for a lot of projects now. I and mean, a lot of times we're just doing it on our own and trying to make it work. And so as a producer and an editor, not usually on the same project, but on different and different jobs, I can feel the pain on both. Um, as a producer, I just finished, a, we just delivered a TV show for BBC 
uh, Scotland, which is on next Tuesday. And the budget tariffs are so low. And, you know, you want to put everything into production and you want to put everything on screen. And you do have to carve out enough for post because you put all that effort in and you can't finish it properly. You can't do the sound properly or the color properly. And, you, you know, you know, even me budgeting for a post, I didn't budget enough for sound or for color because we just ran out. And it is then asking amazing favors and or and we're not getting the best that it could be. I mean, you get put in all this effort and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, we don't have enough time to really do a second or third pass on color or, you know, we've got a day and a half to mix it. And it, it just doesn't do it justice for a film that you care, you've spent now six months, a year, two years on. So, um, yeah, if you can try to carve time and money into your post budget, it's so important. Um, so, yeah, editing. Uh, the world has changed a lot with files and um, Premiere and Avid, none of that really matters, it's just, but it is important to get the workflow established correctly from the beginning. And if you can, bringing on a color online and colorist at, you know, ahead of time to get your workflow established is, would be great. Um, because I know with Premiere, I mean, these days with Premiere, you can just really mess things up. You know, you can set, you know, change your, lose your metadata, do this, do that, um, and keeping it organized so that you can transition into the online and not waste all your budget trying to reorganize it. Um, you, so you just, you're doing it properly from the start. Um, I guess one question I have is any, does anybody have any specific questions? Can I ask, I mean, just because they're editing, budgeting for editing, on, you know, preparing for, for posts, is there anything that somebody is really urge, you know, interested in knowing, um, because it's such a big field. Um, if not, I'll just keep talking. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it's, if you can, if you can, it's, it's great, especially for, well, less so for documentary. Um, but for theatrical, you know, for, for a fiction, for narrative film, it can save the film. Um, on a technical side, if, you know, something happens in the rushes that is digitally or, I mean, just technically wrong, you catch it and you can say, hey, this was not exposed right or there's a, you know, some digital hits or something in the, in the, in the footage or the something, whatever went wrong. But then on the other side, just assembling the scenes, while you're in that, before you break down that set, you could say, hey, we actually need a pickup of that. I need a close-up of this. It's not, I need that reaction shot. It's much harder to afterwards to go and capture that because you've got to redress the set. So I, there's been countless times when you, even if you're just you know, throwing it together, it's, it's great to have that um, opportunity to catch shots that are missing and it happens a lot because you just, you think you've covered it. You think you want it wide. You think you want, oh, you don't really need the reaction of that person. And you're, then you're there and you're like, actually we do. We really do. Especially when you're, you know, in, in, in the edit, you restructure on in fiction, you can restructure the film completely. You change the words, you change the lines, you cut a scene, you know, for tension. And if you're missing that one bit, you know, you don't want to have to do pickup shots that you can't actually pick up later. So, um, yeah, uh, just trying to think as well. I was so inspired by what you said, Ali, about sound and, and 
keeping it um, and planning ahead for it. And I would say you can do a lot of the planning for offline ahead of time as well in keeping the paperwork. Um, I think that's a lost art. Uh, and a lot of times, again, it's different for documentaries and for for script or for fit fiction. But if you can keep notes, it's really great um, for passing on to sound, for passing on just to to the editor. Um, there's a lot of different styles too, where you know you might just an editor might receive a drive of footage and be like, cut that, or you're working ha- in tandem with the director all the time. So it sort of depends if you've got your director right there, so you can bounce ideas but if you're on your own having good notes is is great um yeah talking of notes like what would be what's like the best things that or notes script supervisor can provide you i mean it's so great if you're in the mind of the director because you're usually assembling you know on fiction you're assembling by yourself so to get into the head or you're talking to the director you know after the after the day's shoot but you're um you know, to say, to know that they like that take and why, and you start to get it again, you're, while you're filming, you're saying, okay, that was, they like that because of this, or there's, and, and just information, like there's a wild line, why, um, you know, they picked up this, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we were going to watch everything and we're going to have our own take on it. Um, but if, yeah, if, if, again, it's, it's just great to be able to say, okay, that was the favorite, just especially in the assembly time, if you're on such a short schedule, just to be able to bang out some, some stuff because you'll assemble it without really absorbing all the rushes and you'll do a second pass and go through the takes. But when you can just sort of say, okay, great. I like that one was good because of that. And you start again, getting into the head of what was happening, you know, what we're looking for, for the story. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. And I, again, back to just budgeting and scheduling, I think really be, I mean, I think there's, it's getting because a lot of facilities and there's a lot of different um, channels that right now that are doing this sort of formulaic like okay we'll put two days for sound and two days for color, and I think it's just back in the day you would spend three weeks on sound and have that time to carve out sound design and um, and and clean up uh, and again on what Ali was saying is taking the time for an editor or an assistant editor to come in to prep all these sessions and track lay because it will save all that time and frustration for your, the artists that follow, um, you know, same thing with color. If there's things that we can clear up saying, okay, this is what we're, you know, this camera's on this channel or this camera's on this track. So it might make life easier. Um, but anyway, I'm probably going on too long, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can only echo the sentiments of these guys by saying that post-production guys and the roles that they have in terms of editing, sound design, color grading, are given so little thought in terms not only of the time allocated to them, but just of the whole process itself, especially color grading, I think, because, as I mentioned earlier, it's not taught, as far as I know, in any kind of dedicated course in this country. I mean, films have been graded digitally for the last 19 years. The year 2000 was the first digitally color graded film. And the University of Edinburgh only started teaching color grading three years ago. So 
it's kind of understandable why color grading just would be this afterthought for so many filmmakers, especially if they're inexperienced. They may just not think of it as being this important thing. But if they're shooting something on, say, S-Log, flat, raw, they've got this gray washed out image and all of a sudden they get to the color grade, they realize this image is going to drastically change now. We really should have put thought in what this image should look like before the grade happens. But I've, I, I color graded three short documentaries last month and I didn't see the film until I was setting up the project to grade it, the film. I hadn't met the director, I hadn't had any conversation from, uh, with them, references, pictures, anything about what they wanted the image to look like. And I can't really fault them too much because they just, you know, they were inexperienced filmmakers. One of them was a first time filmmaker. So they just haven't been taught, they haven't had the experience of realizing that color grading is something that needs a lot of time to think about. You know, this is, this is a process that is gonna change your image. It's gonna change how the audience feels about your film. And it's just, you know, the look of your film is something you should be thinking about, as with the sound, well before the shoot happens. You know, colorists should be talking to cinematographers about how best the cinematographer should be shooting certain scenes. For example, say there's some day for night shots that they want. The colorist can then be talking to the cinematographer about how best those scenes should be shot in order to avoid nightmares in the grade of, you know, color correcting the sky because it's white instead of black, things like that. Um, that's happened. <laughs> um, I color-graded a film that should have been, that was meant to be day for night and told the cinematographer beforehand, I was lucky, I was invited to talk to them beforehand, and I said, don't shoot the sky. If you want a day for night, just don't shoot the sky, you'll be fine. Sky in every shot. <laughs> and the cinematographer, who was very talented, um, they had shot a Oscar-nominated short, just said, well, we could just do sky replacement. You know, you can do that and resolve now. And I'm like, yeah, we can, but it takes like weeks and millions of dollars. Um, so think about, you know, the amount of money you have, the amount of time you have to spend on your grade. You know, even though you have these amazing digital tools now in which you can do all these amazing things, you may not have the money to spend to pay your colorist to do these amazing things. I've got a couple of clips with me just to kind of illustrate a good example of fixing something in post and a bad example, because I think there are times when fixing in post, or not so much fixing it in post, but doing it in post, creating a look in post is fine. You don't need to do everything in camera. You don't need to spend ages setting up your lights, putting the exact gel in to get this exact color look you want. Cer certain things can be done very quickly in post that can be done you know, quicker there than they can be on set. Other times things can be just achieved so much simpler, sim more simply in on the set than they can in post. And I've got two examples with me. So let's look at the good examples. So this is a good example of creating a look in post. This was for a feature that I graded uh, three years ago. So in this feature, this character played by Nana Cherry goes through a process of grieving. Uh, the film starts just after she has accidentally killed somebody in a motorcycle, in a car accident. And she's living in Stockholm and she's walking through Stockholm throughout the film, coming to terms with this grief. So the film starts off very desaturated, very dark, very gray. And the film ends with her kind of exploring the city, rediscovering the city, rediscovering herself, coming to terms with what she's done and feeling happier about herself. So we end with very saturated, 
happier shots. Now, this film was shot completely out of sequence. Uh, the director didn't know exactly where certain shots might end up in the story. So rather than take the time to kind of shoot certain shots with certain filters to make them warm or cold on the day, everything was basically just shot flat. And then we decided in post which shots should go in the end, which shots should go in the beginning. And this is really just a simple case of bumping up the saturation to create this look at the end. It's not something that's going to take a long time. So there's no real reason to kind of do it on set, which would have taken a lot of time and thought consideration. Here's a good example where we can just do it in post. So this is fine. This is a, a good example, I would say, of creating a look in post and not doing it on the set. Bad example. <laughs> this is a short film that I created called, uh, what's the Spanish translation? Summer uh, insomnia on a summer day, night? Summer night. Uh, so this is two noisy neighbors keeping each other up at night. The male character is in blue. He's got a blue room. Female character has got this orange warm room. So on set, they've got this big orange light on set. The boy's got the blue light. So easy way to distinguish the characters. So for our interior shots, everything's fine so far. They're keeping it all consistent on the set. Not much needed really to do in the grade. But when it comes to a shot that's coming up here, outside, they forgot to put the orange light in that room for the exterior shot. So here we've got a moving shot on the outside of this building and we've got a window that needs to be orange and nothing else should be orange except that window. So that I'm going to have to now draw around that window frame by frame uh, with the shot moving, which is not easy. There are tools in DaVinci Resolve, which is the color grading software I use, that can track certain objects. But when you've got crazy things like this with this bucket flailing about the window, it's not going to be very easy, except to just basically draw shapes frame by frame. Now, this was a short film, so it wasn't a total disaster. Um, but imagine if this was a feature, and this was like you know rear window, where you come back to that same shot over and over and over again throughout the whole film. All they could, all they needed to do was just put a red light in that look in that room. And that would have just saved, you know, a total headache from happening. So that's a bad example of fixing it in post. And I'm sure somebody would have realized at the time, oh, that those shots don't match. But I'm sure they would have just said, we'll fix it in post. Um, but yeah, as far as like color grading goes, I, I just have to echo sentiments of Bring people on early. Bring your post people on board early. Don't just show them your project as you're needing them to start doing this job. Don't give Ali the sound files and give him the film to watch at the same time. Bring him on board. Let him, you know, let him know what kind of mood you're going for. What's the vibe of this film? Same with your editor. You know, let them read a script beforehand before you, they get the rushes. Tell the colorist what's the mood of this film. What's it about? Let them talk to the cinematographer so they can work things out beforehand as well. Um, you know, just because things happen after the shoot doesn't mean that they should be an afterthought. Um, post is just as important as pre-production. So I have questions for all of you. Um, first, you, you mentioned we should be contacting you right at the beginning. But what's the general workflow of where do you come in usually and who, who do you talk to and, and is it through the editors or just Ed can give us kind of an overview on what the general workflow of your specialist fields are generally? Well, just also to say as an editor, 
I was gonna. It was the one thing I've forgotten to say, which is, yeah, if we can read the script ahead of time, we can also be really helpful because there's, you know, repeated moments, there's missing moments, there's pacing issues um, that we can, you know, we sense as an editor because we've done this now a few times to say, wow, it'd be great if we had this, or have you thought about that? Um, are you how are you going to shoot it? Because we know what we're going to be looking for, what kind of shots we're going to be looking for. And um, so if we can read the script and be part of that dialogue early, it'd be great. Also, you know, to understand the mood of a scene. Um, I think when you, before coming into the edit for directors um, to be involved and say, I, this scene is about this. And to really know at the heart of it what the scene is about um, is great. Um, so on that note, I... It depends on the project, but and that's for documentaries too, because we can give feedback saying, oh, you're going to go shoot in this exotic location. Get me this. Get me, I need wild sounds of and and of, of this for tone. I need these, just, I need cutaways for this. Just make sure, you know, if this is the mood, why are we going to that place? Get the, me these shots so that way we can build that in, in the visual storytelling. Um, so oftentimes an editor is brought, mostly is brought on prior to the film, but sometimes it's usually right at production because they're, you know, if on indies, things are moving so fast and, but you don't get the budget approved or you don't get the financing in until the last minute. Um, you can't always plan ahead. So a lot of times it is right up to, right at, you know, Hey, we're shooting in two weeks. Can you come on board? Um, but it's still important to read the scripts or read, you know, read the treatment, get involved. Um, that was your main, yeah. yeah. Great. Uh, it varies so wildly. Um, ideal, the, the ones that I enjoy most and the ones that go smoothest are generally the ones where people get in touch with me right at the start. Um, before the shoot, they ask me to recommend sound recordists. I recommend sound recordists. They pick one of them. We sit, me, director, sound recordists around the script or around the story and we, we look at what we're going to need. We look at things that are going to be difficult, we look at potential problems and we look at plan B's or, or plan A's as well as ways to get around these things. And it generally means that on the shoot they know what they're trying to achieve, they're not having to wing it as much and it means that in post things go much, much smoother. I did, um, I did two shoots or two Two short films, pretty much kind of side by side, where one of them took one of the sound recorders I recommended. We sat around the script. They went away. They got all the sounds. They got around all the problems. They came back. Bang, bang, bang. Film went together, went out, won awards. Everyone was happy. Yay. The other one, eight months of ADR hell <laughs> from talent who were mostly in London. Uh, and it was a nightmare. It still ended up being nice and it won things and stuff, but, you know, it didn't have to take that long. It didn't have to be that stressful. And frankly, ADR never sounds as good as location sound anyway, if you get it right, if you're getting good location sound. So, yeah. Lots of people think post-production happens in post. Ideally, we get it done in pre, enough that post becomes really, really smooth and easy. I think one of the reasons also that stuff does always just get shifted to post-production in terms of planning is because a lot of directors 
think that the post-production process entirely, editing, sound, grading, is so technical and they feel a little bit intimidated that they don't have this technical knowledge, that they can't talk to these people beforehand about planning stuff because they think they need to talk to them in a techie way. You know, oh, we need to do this kind of technical thing with the edit. And really, you don't need to do that as a director, I think, with your editor or your colorist or your sound designer. You just need to talk to them conceptually. You can just talk to them about emotions. How is this film meant to make us feel? You don't need to say, we need to make sure that you use that color wheel in this way for this color effect. You can just leave all of that techie stuff to the people who are doing the job. You can just talk to people about emotions that you want the colors to kind of bring across, sounds that give a certain kind of atmosphere. You can just talk to your post people conceptually. Don't feel intimidated about the techie side of things. Let us guys worry about all that. Let us worry about the tools that we're going to use. You can just, as a director, talk to us as an artist, you know, talk to us about how you want us to make your film feel, you know, talk to us in that way. And that will feel much less kind of intimidating from a technical side, I would say. And it's also easier, I think, for us as artists to work with what your emotion is versus if you're telling us, okay, can you do this technically, but why, you know? So I think that dialogue is, is really helpful. That's a really, really good point. Uh, I want to be telling stories. I don't want to be someone who, I, I'm not, I mean, you know, I have a certain technical um, set of skills that need to do certain things, not like Liam Neeson. Um, I thought that was funny. Um, you know, there are technical skills that are certainly part of that job, but I, what I'm trying to do is tell a story. And if you can let me know what kind of story that is, that's much more valuable than you trying to um, pick up a, a technical language that you don't have and don't need to have. Questions? Anyone? I've got questions. So uh, I really like working. No, that's a, that's a really good point. I mean, it, it, it's something that in this country, there's not the industry that there might be. And there are lots of people who are flying under the radar doing things very low budget. And uh, that's presumably one of the reasons why, yeah, people are uh, shy to come forward a little bit earlier. The thing is, I'm not going to charge anyone extra for being on earlier because they're making my job easier they will mean that, that I'm probably going to have to spend fewer hours on it and we're probably all going to be happier with, it, with what we end up with. So, yeah, money is, you know, pays my rent, pays my bills, buys me shiny microphones. But uh, at the same time, what I'm interested in is telling stories 
and money isn't everything. It's useful. I like it, but it's not everything. I, I would agree to a certain extent. I think the it's about a relationship, and if you know you're going to want to work with you know a certain team and you want to bring them on early, it's you know. I think as an editor, we want to be involved early because it's part of the storytelling process and it's about what is this film really about and building that relationship with the director is 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 will only make the edit smoother and better and more enjoyable and get the film closer to what it wants to be, you know, instead of trying to get into your head right on day one of rushes where there's a lot of pressure and the, the clock starts ticking. Um, I think one of the things that I, I love the most about working with directors is just having those conversations about what the film is and what the story is. And, um, and for me, getting involved early, reading a script or talking about reading a treatment or talking about character or what they're planning on shooting, oh, this is an interesting storyline. I mean, I love I love that. I mean, I'm about to go into an edit mid-July, but I've been talking to the director since April about what he's thinking about shooting. And, um, I mean, we're not spending eight hours a day talking, but, you know, just saying, hey, I've got this idea. What do you think? It's like, oh, and we just, it, it also makes it far more collaborative and, 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 again, really fun. Yeah, I would say don't worry. I think you're in the same position as every interesting filmmaker in this country right now. Um, when I'm talking about, you know, bring guys in early to talk about plans, I'm not talking about week-long, hour-long meetings where you're telling your post-production people every minutia of information that there is about the film. You know, I'm saying, you know, as a colorist, one email with one Vimeo link to your edit one paragraph with how you want the colors to look and five images as far as references go would be awesome and like yeah and one like phone call with the DOP and I'm not going to charge you know the time that it takes me to read that email and to watch that Vimeo link and these are things that I don't get a lot of the times you know nothing so even that would be amazing so don't think in terms of you know oh man, if I bring people in before the shoot, it's going to add so much to my budget. It's like, no, just send us a couple of emails at least. You know, that'll be grand. <laughs> and then also just, I mean, they were talking in a very indie way, which is, I think, majority of what, how we work. But, you know, as we, you know, if you grow into or want to work in bigger films, theatrical releases or TV shows, you do, this is incorporated in that workflow. You do talk about, you, you know, for me as a post-producer, we will have, uh, you know, a daily's workflow established. You know, we have, which happens way before the shoot, where we're talking about how are we recording sound, how are they being merged onto the rushes, how are they getting to the editor. Um, so a lot of that is in play on uh, bigger shows, bigger films, um, because it's essential. It's just, I think, when we get into this indie world where we're all winging it and trying our best, the protocols get lost mostly because we just don't know what they are. And that's where talking to the heads of department comes in really handy because you, you one, it's one great way to learn, but that's just what you have to build towards. And when you start thinking that way, that is how I hate I'm not saying that we're not professionals, but that is how the big guy, the big players do it. They 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 have their workflows established early on. They have checklists. They have, you know, it's it's formulaic and it's all approved by every department. Color, online sound, everybody's involved in those prep meetings. 
um, on those bigger shoots. So it's just trying to maybe bring that in from as, as an indie, I think would raise the bar for everybody. Um, really, it was just the software that I was trained on. Um, Premiere, as far as I know, has color correction tools, but they're way less advanced than the tools that Resolve has. Um, I started off using Avid's color correction tools when I before I learned Resolve, and then when I started on Resolve, realized how limited Avid's tools were. So really, it's just it's the program that I was trained on. The tools were way more advanced, and I think they give a much better quality of image than edit editing programs do. Um, I mean, Resolve is designed for color grading. It's kind of now being marketed as this kind of all singing, all dancing piece of software. It's got a new editing tool. It's got a new sound design tab. It's now got a compositing tab in the least in the most recent version, but it's designed to grade images and maintain maximum quality. Avid Premiere, they're not designed to do that. They're kind of designed to do offline edits. That's their primary function. Um, not saying you couldn't do it that way. I mean, I know some people who want to make something quick and just grade in Premiere. That's totally fine if that's what you're up for. It's just um, wasn't trained in it that way myself. That's the only reason. I was just going to say, I mean, it might be, hey, buddy. Um, might be, uh, hopefully I'll get this right. But I know, I believe screen skills um, I know it's, I think it's on Creative Scotland. They are trying to offer more bursaries to uh, train in certain specific fields. And I think color grading is one of them. I mean, it would be great to have more color grading options in Scotland because a lot of people, you know, feel like they have to go to London um, for it. So, yeah, just wanted to throw that one out there. Following up on that question about so like software, does DaVinci Resolve for coloring? For you, what what works best? What do you generally work with? And what, as a indie filmmaker who might be offlining it themselves, what 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 advice would you have for for people? Um, don't worry so much about the software. Don't worry about the tools. They're just tools with different colored handles. Um, the audience will not know what you have used. Not know, won't care. It's just a tool. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if it's Avid or Premiere or Final Cut, I don't use Final Cut X or 10 or whatever. Um, never use Final Cut X. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so don't use Final Cut X. But I, I just talked to an editor who works for, who cuts a bunch of stuff for like Werner Herzog, and she uses Final Cut X. That's what she does, um, which shocked the shit out of me. But I was like, okay, fine. Um, I think with Avid or Premiere, there's always the question. Uh, they served, I think, one, it's whatever you're most comfortable with. Um, also, what is your workflow at the end of the day? Because it might save you more time doing one or the other. Um, but it is what you're comfortable with. Because at the end of the day, it's not the software that tells the story. It's the, it's the storyteller. Um, yeah, I mean, you really just need the tool that can do the job you want to do. Like Avid has very basic color correction tools. But say, for instance, you really desperately need to mask something out in an image. Uh, Avid, as far as I know, doesn't really have anything very advanced that can do that, in which case you'll need to go into something a bit more advanced like Resolve. But if, you know, when I was taught color grading, I was taught if it looks good, 
it's right. You've done the job right. So regardless of what tool you've used, um, yeah. But if if Resolve can do something that something else can't, great, go for Resolve. But yeah, it's if the image looks good or if you know if it's there already, regardless of what tool you've used, then you've done it right. That's what I was taught. If that nail is in the bit of wood, you don't know if I used a hammer or the heel of somebody's shoe. Doesn't matter. Any other questions? Yeah. Um, I just wanted to say a message for I think we're going to take away is talk beforehand. Um, but I'm an editor myself, and I feel like, in particular in UK, there is um, a lack of conversation afterwards. And from what you've been talking about, post-production, whether it's editing, mixing, grading, can turn into an emergency room when the money's run out, when lots of things happen, and it's for, we fix things and we correct things. You know, we can tell what happened, and hey, everyone's happy. But actually, I really that cross-disciplinary conversation of, you know, us making friends with the, the DOPs, with the, um, you know, depending on what scale of production is actually talking and not picking up the phone to slag off and say, hey, hell have you done? Yeah. But actually there was chatting. Sometimes people just didn't know and they won't learn that unless that conversation has happened afterwards. Yeah, that's a really good so, point. I don't know who is in the room and what, what departments you're in and what, what, where you're going to head, but I generally just want to say, like, actually, Really love hearing feedback, and I we've spoken about this yeah. for a while of like just talking afterwards as well of not just the worst things, but you know, like the kind of fun tricks and things you've learned. Um, something will change culturally, I think, in the industry. It's yeah, I mean, that's the thing we, it, we're, we're largely here kind of talking about the nightmares because hopefully, by addressing that, we can get better, but yeah, they're equally well, there are loads of things that have gone really well and that we've. Um, We've enjoyed and we've learned and we've, we've gained things from, and otherwise, you know, we probably wouldn't still be doing it. Um, I think that's a very good point. We, we, we sometimes maybe forget to pat each other on the back when we think people have done a good job. I mean, on my last project, I was really happy because I was producing it, and I come from an editing background. So I was really, you know, it was great that I, you know, before we really kicked off into post, you know. I had, had a drinks night where we had sound, post, color, and production come together so that they could all meet each other and be part of a conversation because I did want to be, bring on that collaborative team and I don't didn't want it to be that isolated feeling. Um, likewise, when we were in the finishing, you know, it was always including the editor on the links, um, sound as well, you know, and if people... You don't, they don't have, they don't, there's, it's always that you don't have to watch, you don't have to give feedback, but it's there because if, you know, you have put in your time and your energy, if you care about, you know, if you want to be involved, if you want to have a say, here's your time to say it. Because once I say, hey, here's the last bit of, you know, it's going on broadcast, here's the link, well, it's too late. So, you know, a lot of times due to scheduling, there's not much time for feedback, but you know, that, you know, it's there. But I agree. It's, it's, I think it's important to keep that collaboration because we all work so hard and we all put our all into it. And if we can talk about the, the film collectively, then it, it, it does create that conversation and make it better. Yeah, I think things are slowly changing for the better. I think as more awareness comes that post-production skills are every bit as artistic and creative and collaborative as, you know, cinematography, and you know, script writing and all that goes. When the prem, you know, when the time comes for the premiere, 
once people are aware that, oh, color grading is a thing, you know, editing is a thing, these are really important things, and they see the results on screen, and they meet the person responsible afterwards, and they go, oh, you did the colors, or you did the editing, it was really good, I noticed these things, and those things really stood out. You know, those are the things that kind of make life worthwhile. <laughs> and when, you know, you get that feedback afterwards, and I'm hearing it more as time goes on, as, as people become more aware of these skills in post-production. So I think we're getting there. We're going in the right direction. And, and I was also just thinking, again, the last shoot we did, you can close your ears for this one because you might get scared. Um, like we did, we shot with three different cameras. You know, none of them had, you know, the, and it was, and we had a ton of shots in a 30-minute piece. And, you know, and we had a day to color. <laughs> um, you know, and it's just, you know, that's not enough time at all. I mean, you can barely get through the, just balancing things out, let alone tapping into the artistry that is color grading um, and storytelling. But I think that talking to, you know, I think as a producer and editor, bringing, you know, talk, talking to all the departments early, saying, hey, this is where it's at. This is my budget. This is what what can we do and what can I do ahead of time that would that would help you get this ambitious project done? Because we are all working on either self-finance projects or low budgets because nobody's ever saying, hey, I've got so much money on this job. Oh, my God, I don't know what to do. So we're always, you know, faced with these challenges. And I think, again, it's, I think if people love, want to be involved in a creative process, getting in, you know, I've, I've you know, comp days or whatever you want to call it because I love the project I want I want to do a good job I want to see it through and if it's like ah it just needs another few days or if another bit of this you know no I don't work for free but again it's that balance of I love this film I get it you know you know if it goes you know crazy then let's let's talk and maybe we can get some you know compensate I don't believe you know, I don't believe in anyone working for free but I do think that it's it's finding that balance as well and yeah no uh no I've done a little bit of game audio uh I'm actually about to start some research on sound for VR for a project um, are you looking to do something? I'm interested in doing that. Uh, uh, we'll chat. Uh, I'm, I've, somebody has been talking to me about a job that would involve VR sound and, um, although mo most of what I'm doing is 5.1, um, I'm now looking at, yeah, this is something I'd quite like to have a look at. And if, yeah, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be doing some research over the, over the summer. Um, just sort of tangentially, I've worked on some projects in New York. Um, it's a pain in the ass now. Um, no, okay, but it can be. It's like, I mean, I think it's the, I'm not sure what the specific question is, but um, it's, you know, it's, it's exciting and it's a lot of work and it's a lot of painting out things and frames because the way you're, the way you're, you know, for visually at least you're, the way you shoot and, and the, how the things move. I mean, I don't know 360 as much as VR because I was just happened to be on a project that was for a, a teaser for G.G. Abrams 
sci-fi thing on in on about JFK, and it was like, but and it was a trip because it's like you, you're wearing this VR mask, and but you're like, oh yeah, there's the stitch, and you're like, oh yeah, there's the stitch. So it's, I mean, it's a lot of post work for sure. Um, but I didn't know a little bit less about how one shoots it, but I can tell you about whatever I know. On that note, I should say that um, we, we can continue the conversation over drinks and stuff. And uh, please let us know if there's certain topics that you want us to talk about or, or bring in more people, because we hope to do these probably like two or three times a year and then continue with our regular monthly networking nights. But until now, enjoy. And hopefully everyone will stick around and meet and network. And thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for everything. And yeah, the Cinetopia events are super fun. Thank you. <laughs>